Welcome and thank you for tuning into the Promise Center's weekly podcast. We hope that this message blesses you and encourages you to take your next step in following Jesus. As always, feel free to check us out at www.thepromisecenter.com for more information on our church, what we're doing to make a difference in Sonoma County, and how you can partner with us. God bless and enjoy this week's message. So here we go. Here we go. Leviticus chapter 10 and 10. Uh, grab your Bibles. We're going to put it up on the screen. Leviticus chapter 10 and 10. I also got to say, love our new drum cage. Look at that thing. Is that amazing? And so it's kind of cool because it's not just a drum cage, but it's also a spaceship and a time machine. It has all these cool features. So it's like we can even do baptisms in there. So you'll see people like floating. No, not really, but it's pretty bodacious. Sound, sounds amazing. Thank you, Wayne and the team back there. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So we're in a sermon series called Uncommon, and this is about, like, living the life that God has called us to, corporately but also individually. And so Leviticus chapter 10 and 10 says this, you must distinguish between what is sacred, or we can say what is holy or uncommon, it's not just a common thing, and then what is common, what's ordinary, what's the norm, between what is ceremonially unclean and what is clean. Now, here's what's really cool. In the New Testament, Jesus makes a way for those things that are unclean not to just become common, but to become holy, to be set apart. That's what the word church means, ecclesia. It literally means we're called out and separated for a purpose unto God. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? So he didn't just save us from stuff. He saved us unto something greater than the life we were living before. And so in the Old Testament, you, could, you couldn't get something that was unclean and make it holy. You could take something common and make it holy, but you could not take something unclean. And I'm so thankful that God did reach down and pull us out of our sickness and our sin and set us apart for a wonderful work and purpose in the world and in the kingdom of God. So what we're going to do is we're going to link that idea, this uncommon series, to the calling of a king. 1 Samuel chapter 13 and 14, and this is what we're going to read. One, one more verse, and we'll get into the message. 1 Samuel chapter 13 and 14 says this, But now your kingdom, God, talking about Saul, will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people, because you have not kept the Lord's commandment. So King Saul, the kingdom is ripped from him. His descendants will not uh, be heirs of the throne. And God said, I've already found someone. I've already set someone apart. I've already sanctified something that's uncommon to do this great work. And so we're going to look at the life of David toward the end of this message and apply it to this big idea. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. Continue to speak to us, speak through us. Let our hearts be good soil, good ground, so your word can fall into this heart and produce much fruit. We give you honor and we give you praise. Continue to do your work today. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody say amen. All right, all right. So here we go. Let's talk about common and uncommon. How many of you know that there is kind of just this standard that's out there in the world? We call it everyone, right? Everyone does it. My kids use this. They're like, well, everyone's doing it. Everyone does it. It's common. And there's this common denominator that's out there that just kind of we as people can naturally and easily settle into. It's like this is the norm. This is what's common. And I want you to know that God has not called you to be common. 
he has called all of us to be, say it with me, uncommon. One more time. Let's say it together. Uncommon. God has called you and I to be uncommon. Common is what is usual. It's what is typical. And it is what is expected. And so the measuring stick that's out there is called most people. Most people do this. Most people act like that. Everyone's doing this. In fact, whenever um, you, we have kids, I, I've said this before, I've been guilty of saying this, why can't you guys just act normal? Has anyone ever said that to your kids before? Why can't, honey, why didn't we have normal kids, right? And then they get older, and then they start telling you, mom, dad, will you, will you when my friends come over, will you act normal? Have you heard that before? Come on, will you be honest? Have you heard that before? Just being normal, normal, right? But God's not called us to be normal. He's called us to be uncommon. He's called us to a life that's bigger and grander, not a small life. The world wants to make us small. The world wants to marginalize us. The world wants to put us in a box so we can be understood. But that's not what God's called us to be. In fact, there's spiritual formation happening in you right now because you are a spiritual being. So the question is, do you recognize what is happening in you? And some people say, hey, the kingdom of God is like a seed. And they think that their spiritual growth is God wants me to go from a little seed to a big seed. That's not what God wants. God wants that outer shell to break open, and he wants that life that's inside of you, those gifts, those talents, those callings, that ministry that's inside of you to spring forth. God doesn't want bigger seeds. He wants the seed to break down. He wants it to die, except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die. It abides alone and bears no fruit. So what God's called us to is faithfulness and fruitfulness. That's how our life will be measured. Were we faithful and were we fruitful? And God doesn't want you just to be saved and exist and be the frozen chosen until he comes back and hopefully you make it. But he wants us to, he wants us to not be, play it safe but to be dangerous in the kingdom, stepping out by faith, sowing that talent. Starts with a little, but it becomes great. Why? Because we're trusting him for bigger things. God has a purpose on your life. And I know what you're thinking. No, that's somebody else somewhere else. God can use someone else somewhere else, but he can't use me. The Bible says that you were, you were created in God's heart and mind from the beginning, from the foundation. And God made you based on the plan that he has for you. So you're, you're, you were created with a certain bent, a certain eye, a certain disposition based on what God has for you to do in his kingdom. So he doesn't want to change you. He just wants the out, outer shell to break out and what's inside of you to spring forth, that good gift that's inside of you. Come on, somebody. All of us have a different eye. You can see your gifting through your eyes. Some people walk into a room, and they see that the chairs are crooked, so they start getting the chairs straight because they're OCD. That's a little bit of me. Right? Some people walk into a room, and they see that one person sitting by themselves, and they're like, oh, i got to go talk with them. That's a different gift, and that's a different eye. So you have a gift. You have an eye. You have a disposition. You have something on your life that's important to God. It belongs to God. It's been redeemed for the kingdom of God. And this whole sermon series is about calling that out, that we've not been called to be common, to be average, to be ordinary, but God is setting us aside for his good use. God's plan is not just for you to get saved and settle. He wants us to walk into all the promises and take them, ask for them, plead for them, knock on the door, get it. Take it. It's ours. Can I get a good amen in the house? Amen. So we're not, we're, we weren't born to be norm. We weren't called to be common. We weren't, we weren't called to be lukewarm. Lukewarm simply means that we become the average. We become the, the, the we, 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 we are now changed by uh, what the space dictates, what the environment and culture dictates. Lu- lukewarm says that whatever room temperature is, that's what I become. So instead of me affecting my environment, my environment is affecting me. And Jesus says, I don't want you lukewarm. 
okay? He wants, to, he wants us to change the environment. He wants us to be different. We're salt and we're light and we're a city that's on a hill. We're the ecclesia. We are the church. We're the called out ones. And so we're different. And so being different is not bad. And not different in like, hey, I'm going to put polka dots on my forehead and I'm going to wear my left shoe on my right foot, my right shoe on my left foot. That's different. No, he's talking about a different, different kind of commitment, a different kind of attitude, a different kind of disposition. We're not talking about being goofy different. We're talking about different and where people go, there's something, there's something on his life. There's a virtue that comes. I can't, I can't break him. I can't break her. There's something about the way she carries herself. There's a confidence on her life. This is the spirit that was on Sarah. There was something about her that was glorious and grand because she was called out. She was, she was separated unto God for a holy calling. Amen? I love this verse right here, Romans chapter 12 and 1. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed. Here we go. From the inside out, readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. God wants us to be, everybody say mature. Now, let me talk about maturity for just a second because I got to spend a week with my little nephews and nieces. So Heidi's sister, younger sister, and and our brother-in-law, they had five kids in the span of about six and a half, seven years. So pray for them, okay, basically. And so it's like little whirlwinds. They're just like all like, this is like this, this groupie that just, they're, they're like, uh, one has a high-pitched voice, one has a deep voice. Um, and it's kind of crazy because we were there for a couple days and like everything in their house is sticky, like everything. You know when you have a lot of kids and just like you put your hand somewhere, you're like, is that jelly? That's grape jelly. How did grape jelly get there? And there's a little bit of crayon on everywhere, you know, like the couch and the walls. There's just a little bit of crayon. There's a little bit of sticky, right? And, um, and these are little kids, and we expect them to act like kids. They're kids. We don't expect adults to act like kids, but we expect kids to act like kids. So, like, they would get upset, and we go, if you, if you listen, we'll take you to the dollar store. I'm just telling you, the dollar store is like the sweet spot. It just works. We'll let you pick out three prizes. They still don't understand it's $3. Like, it's, it's wonderful. And they're like, they're, so they're like easily upset. Dollar store. Yes. Easily happy. Easily upset. And the Lord, and we laugh because it's kids, but then sometimes, like, we, we're like adolescents. We're adults spiritually, and we're still acting like kids. And the Lord says this. He says, I want you to change the way you think. I want you to know you're not supposed to be like everybody else. you got to grow up. Part of living for God is growing up spiritually and understanding that something is happening inside of you. We're not just going from a small, small seed to a big seed. We're going from a seed into a tree that's going to produce seed, that's going to produce more trees, more fruit, more seed, and there's going to be a legacy that God wants to bring through us. And everybody say amen. amen. Graveyards are full of unfulfilled potential. People who never stepped into it. People that never apprehended. Paul said, I've apprehended that calling. I went for it. I dug it out. I carved it out. In fact, Paul said this. He said, I'm dying empty. There's nothing left in me. I'm, I've given every bit 
of what God has called me. I didn't hold anything back. And we don't want the end of your story as a believer to be one where it's full of regrets. I wish I would have. Where we have all of this summarized amount of doing things that bring no virtue back. You don't get kudos for watching 10,000 hours of Netflix. There's nothing rewarding that comes back. 10,000 hours of playing the piano? Yes. 10,000 hours of Netflix? No. And the truth is, is we have to steward our life according to the purpose that God has purposed us. So at the Maker Calling Election, sure, we're uncommon. We're thinking about things that most people aren't thinking about. Our attitude, our demeanor is different than most people. James chapter 1 and 4 says this, Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, everybody say mature, complete, and lacking nothing. Mature, complete, and lacking nothing. Here's what happens to a lot of people. Their past, there are disappointments. And those disappointments can domesticate your faith for today. You go, you know what? I've tried. I failed. I want to speak this over somebody. You may have failed, but you're not a failure. You have a purpose in God's kingdom. It's yours for the taking. And this message is really about calling that up, calling that out, and saying nothing is impossible with God. So let's look at the man Moses really quickly. How many knows the story of Moses? He's this amazing figure. In fact, the Bible says that when he was born, his parents go, this is an uncommon child. There's something different about him. And he had an uncommon destiny. And he ends up being the guy who brings out three million Hebrews out of Egypt, and his calling is to bring them into the promised land. And how many knows that Moses didn't get to finish his course? He didn't get to go into the promised land. Do you know why he didn't get to go into the promised land? It wasn't because he didn't have a devotion. It it wasn't because he didn't love to worship God. He never bowed his knee to an idol. It wasn't because he he didn't have a prayer life. If you just pray more and you just just sing more and just pray some more and read your Bible. It wasn't because he fell into false doctrine. I mean, he was there when God literally wrote the book with his finger. It wasn't that. He knew his Bible. He had a relationship with God. In fact, the Bible says that, he, that God spoke to, to prophets and dreams and visions, but he spoke with Moses face to face. So you know why he didn't get to go into the promised land? It wasn't because he didn't read his Bible and didn't have a prayer life. He didn't fulfill his calling because he had an issue that he never dealt with. He had an anger issue. Can, can you imagine that? Like, you do all the right stuff, but like this issue becomes a ceiling. It started in Egypt whenever he killed a guy and buried him. It happened whenever he got mad coming down with the Ten Commandments and he, gets, he sees these crazy people who don't have a law. They're just, they're just wild people. They're slaves. That don't get it. And he gets this law and he throws it and breaks it. 3,000 people die that day because he's angry. And then finally he's supposed to speak to the rock and he strikes it and God says, enough. Your anger is keeping you out. Not because you don't pray, not because you don't know your Bible, not because you're in false doctrine. You have an issue that you've never dealt with. It's become your ceiling. And there's a lot of people who have calling and anointing and purpose on their life. And, you know, they, they, they have these things that they don't realize are roadblocks from them being able to step into all that God has. Like, oh, man, they're so talented, but, man, they've got an attitude. Don't even know where to put them on the team. Hey, oh my goodness, we would love to, that would be so, but you know what, they're not committed. They don't show up. 
I know it sounds silly, but it becomes the ceiling that we don't even realize becomes a real thing. And so what happens is, is God allows us to go through some things, to reveal some things that are in our heart, so we are ready to step into the full promise of God. God wants to reveal it so he can heal it. And he puts you into the test so it can be revealed. Are you ready? James chapter 1 and 2 says this. James chapter 1 and 2. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. How many of you, whenever a test or challenge comes, you're like high-fiving people, you're texting friends, guess what? I'm going through a test and a trial right now. Will you just rejoice with me? Let's just do a spiritual high-five. Thank you, Jesus. Does that ha- do you do that? Oh, it's a sheer gift. This is a sheer gift. Know that under the pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. Little Cindy Lopper right there. Could, we could add that. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature, well-developed, and not deficient in any way. What we do when we go through trials is we want to push the eject button. Why is this happening? And so our entire prayer is always, get me out of this, 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 get me out of this. Instead of, God, get me through this. Grow me through this. You see what I'm saying? So my wife, my wife and I homeschool our kids. My wife is the teacher. I am the principal of the homeschool. Okay? And so my kids will be like, hey, do we have to learn this? Like, we got fractions. Do I have to learn fractions? Is this necessary? Dad, do you use fractions? I'm like, yes, I use it. for, Like pizza. How do you know how many slices are on a pizza? Of course. Use it all the time. You know what I mean? Like, don't judge. But, but here's the bottom line. Like, you've got you to get this so you can go to the next level. The, the test precedes promotion. You're not going to go to the next level until you've been tested. And I know all of us are like, oh, I don't like that. Well, why not? You like it when they test your car before they sell it to you. Right? Like the the Boeing airplane that I flew on yesterday. I'm really glad that there's a standard and that they tested not only the plane, but the pilots before they let them get us on that plane and fly us you know, a thousand miles. Aren't you glad for that? So testing is not a bad thing. It's preparation for activation. I'll say it over here. It's preparation for activation. So you're going to go through some things because God is setting you up to put you in a position where you're ready to handle all that he wants to pour on you. The problem is we keep failing the class. And a lot of us, we keep getting our information from the person who has failed the class seven or eight times. I mean, if you're in class and, and the person that's failed the class seven or eight times is like, hey, dude, why don't you just cheat off of me? You're like, oh, no, thanks. I'll just, I'll just guess. I'd rather just guess. Probably better chance of getting this right, A, B, C, D, right? You know what I'm saying? And so what happens is we, we take our, our cues from people who keep failing. Hey, so what should we do? I mean, I'm really going through a hard time. Oh, you should divorce them. For sure divorce them. Oh, you should for sure get on Facebook and just tell the world what you think. Awesome. Oh, by the way, how many times have you been to this school in class? Oh, you've been here a while. You're stuck. And so we get our cues from people 
who are stuck in the same grade. And so we have the same voice as everybody else. It's common, the norm. Yeah, get mad. Oh, yeah, quit. Oh, yeah, you should react. You should say something. You should, you should let them know your mind. And that's the norm because everyone's empowered. We have so many tools now to let everyone know how mad we are. Common, common, common. So God's called us to be uncommon. Why? So we can be mature, well-developed, and not deficient in any way, ready to do God's work. Nobody likes tests. I'm going to give you a little definition we call the proving ground. Everybody say proving ground. I want to put these, uh, the proving ground up here. These are nine grounds, areas in your life where you're going to be tested. Nine areas in your life where you are going to be tested, okay? Here's why God puts us through these stress tests. The proving ground is a place where the new product, the new equipment or the new idea is tested. Testing is for the purpose of proving the product, the reliability of the product, and the potential of the product. Testing precedes promotion. You and I are going to go through these tests, every one of them. And you've probably already scanned through them and thought, "Uh uh-oh, I know that one really well. We all have our area where sometimes we're most weak. How many here has already looked at this and gone, yeah, I see one that I know that this is where I stumble a lot. Can I get some more hands? Because I don't want to add lying up here, the test of lying. Can we get some more hands? You've already seen. We got some halo. Can you pass out those halos to all the people that aren't raising their hands? They just pass all their tests the first time. So thankful for you. God bless you. Please don't let your wings hurt anybody on your way out, okay? I get it. We all are going to go through these In your spiritual formation and your growth, every one of us are going to go through these. And remember what God said. He said, I found someone. Saul, the kingdom is torn. But but Samuel, I want you to know, don't weep. I've already found a man whose heart has passed the test. Everything Daniel would need to know, he, he discovered and learned in a field. He did not have a Mr. Miyagi to teach him wax on, wax off. Paint the fence, paint the house, sand the floor. Didn't have the crane to learn that if done right, no can defend. Didn't have that. His teacher was loneliness. His teacher was patience. His teacher was faithfulness. His teacher was taking care of his father's sheep when no one was looking. His his teacher was being forgotten and being the eighth brother that whenever people were called in and said, hey, we're going to anoint one of your sons, David wasn't even invited to that and still had a good attitude. Those were the environments that he submitted himself to as the proving ground to prepare his heart. And God says, I've looked, Samuel, and I've found a heart that I'm willing to anoint. There's a heart that's been proven. He's going to go through some things, and he's going to pass some tests. He's going to go through some things, and he's got the right spirit. This is the, kind of, this is the David who would need all that he learned in the field to be able to go through seasons ahead of time where he's running from his father-in-law, Saul, who wants to kill him. And when David has the opportunity, he doesn't. Saul throws a spear, and David just keeps playing the harp peace. I want to just create peace. 
Saul, his, after 14 years being chased by Saul, his, his, his father-in-law is in a cave using the restroom because he's there for a while, and he's he, probably not number one, like he's there for a while, and David has the time to walk over, and all of David's men are like, hey, you know what you ought to do? This is God. God has set this up, and all you got to do is just stick a knife in his side, and it's all over, and you become king. They processed this moment and said, this is God putting this together. You can stab him in the back, and you can get what you want. David said, no way. I'm not touching the anointing. If man puts me up, man can put me down. But if God puts me up, no man can ever put me down. He cuts a little piece of his, his coat, and he says, Saul, I want you to know, I could have done it, and I did not do it. I honored your calling. I honored who you are. From that moment, something changed in Saul. And Saul prophesies and says, you will be king. It's yours. I cannot deny it. You've proven it. This is the kind of heart that God's looking for. With this kind of heart, nothing is impossible. And so we go through these things. I want to go through them really quickly. I get it. These are not easy. The test of small things. This is where you're put in a field, and instead of being on the battlefield, you're in the sheep field. And you're like watching sheep. And how many knows that sheep are dumb? It's like, what am I doing here? I feel that this is nonsense. And sometimes God puts you in a small group, or sometimes he has you lead a small group. You're like, what am I doing here? But you don't realize this is a proving ground. God puts you on a team. God puts you in a, in a prayer team. God puts you on a prayer walk. He puts you in a fast. The day of small things. The Bible says, do not despise the days of small things. Because God will put a little bit in your hand and see what you do with it. He gave one man a talent, gave one man three, gave one man five. And the guy with one buried it. The others invested and got more back. And guess what? The guy who buried it, the steward says, you know what? The Lord said, I'm going to give it to this steward who had five and turned it into ten. I'm going to give him more. And so in the kingdom of God, those who have more keep getting more. And those who have not are like, what's happening? You're not taking care of the little that God's put in your hands. How about we prosper where we're planted? How about we rejoice wherever we are? That's not easy because this is going to test your attitude. And you're like, why am I doing this? This seems insignificant. It doesn't to God because your heart Something's happening inside of your heart that's getting you ready for the battlefield with Goliath, for the stage with Saul, to be able to be king, to build God's house, to buy the threshing floor. All of it depends on how you do in the day of small things. So how will you be in the day of small things? Let me just say this. If serving is beneath you, greatness is beyond you. If you're too big to serve, you are too small to lead. And I see it all the time. What do you do with small things? Can you handle less? Can you handle more? Then the motivation test. Why are you doing what you're doing? Recognition? Instagram post? What if you do it and no one gives you a high five? No one celebrates you. Are you doing it for people or are you doing it for God? Well, I never got a phone call. They haven't contacted me in three weeks. At the end of the day... This whole system is designed for you to be forgotten at some point or another. And you will be tested. You will be forgotten. You'll be like, how did I get, how did I sign up for this? And motivation. The motivation test. Well, it's coming. And here's the hard part about tests. Are you ready? When you're being tested, usually the teacher does no talking. You're like, why, why does it feel like God's not talking right now? You may be in the middle of a test. 
Pencils down. One minute. Motivation test. How about, how about credibility test? See, David had some miles on his odometer. He was able to tell Saul, Saul, I can fight Goliath. Well, you're a little kid. How are you going to fight Goliath? Because I fought a bear and I fought a lion and I was faithful in the small that God given me. And I have some credibility. I have some wins under my belt. They're small wins, but I believe that this has created credibility. And credibility was the thing that opened the door to great opportunity. You got to have some wins. You got to serve. You got to find a place to have a win. You got to prosper somewhere. You got to get connected. People are going to be like, oh, yeah, you can count on them. Hey, how do they do whenever, oh, they sign up, they show up, they serve hard, they don't, they don't ask for credit, they don't ask for, you know, high five. They just, they're there because they love God and they want to make a difference in the kingdom of God and they, they love the house and they're planted in the house. That's the kind of heart that gets invited to be anointed and step into great things, credibility. The next one's the wilderness test. You see, the wilderness test is this, is like, are you willing to settle for what is easy? Because the wilderness is where God, they're like, I don't, I can't believe God has forgotten us. And God's like, I haven't forgotten you. Um, here's quail. Here's manna. manna. It's going to be bread that just comes down from heaven. Oh, by the way, there's a rock that, that follows you. And whenever you're thirsty, you just put your bucket there and water comes out. It's the easy life. Who wants to go into the promised land and have to pick up a sword and fight? We all want to settle here. Easy Christianity. Just feed me. I just, I just got to, if I can make it from Sunday to Sunday, I'll just, I just need a little bit of bread and a little bit of meat and a little bit of water and just keep, keep watering my appetite. And pastor, you better preach good or I may not come next Sunday. And I just, from Sunday to Sunday, we're barely surviving. And what they don't realize is they're wandering in circles in a wilderness. And they're dying off because they've settled for less. Instead of assuming this is the promise that God has given me, I'm taking it. It's going to be tougher. It's going to be harder. We're going to have to be in alignment. We're going to have to have unity. We're going to go for it. But this is what God's calling us into, the wilderness test. Then you have the authority test. Oh, man. This is a big one. Authority test can be hard for many people. I get it. There's a whole spirit in our age that's anti-establishmentarianism. It's the... It's the it's that, oh, you, how do you have authority over me? And I get it. I mean, the Bible says to submit to Caesar. This is the Caesar that was killing Christians. I can't even wrap my mind around that. But there's functional authority that God puts in your life, and you better honor that because it makes a difference. I was on an airplane yesterday, like I mentioned, and there was a stewardess in there who was not happy. You could tell, like, she was ready to get home. She did not, like, have the fruit of the Spirit at all. It was like the vegetables of the devil. It was not the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, it was all over her, okay? And you know what? She says, sit down. Yes, ma'am. Why? Because you have an authority. You have a functional authority that I honor. I may know more than you. I may, you know, I, I, I may be cooler than you. But you have a functional authority that I'm going to honor. And man, I'm going to tell you, if we don't get this into our children, well, your teacher's stupid if she said that to you. Mm -mm. Children, even if she's wrong, she's right. This is your test. How are you going to honor authority? Officer, 
I don't believe I was going three miles over the speed limit, but here's, here's my license. I'm going to honor you. Thank you for doing your job. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Because I know not all you do is pull over innocent pastors who were going to church. Just kidding. Just kidding. Never had to use that yet. But anyways, what, what, what do you, how do you respond to authority? This will be the test. David responded correctly to authority. And for many people, this becomes their ceiling. No one's going to tell me what to do. How can you be on a team? How can you do anything great? You're an island. Islands in the stream. That is what you are. Come away with me. Da, 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 da. I go 80s all day. 70s, 80s, BGs. I do it all day long. Dolly Parton, Kenny Rogers, God bless America. Anyways, the authority test. If you can't come under, you'll never be able to come over. Ever, ever, ever. It will be your ceiling. The warfare test. This is, how do you do with pain? Because when warfare comes, you're going to be attacked from every angle, and then you're going to have the slack attack. There's going to be slack in here and here and here, and it's going to, the enemy's going to come and attack you. It's going to come from many, uh, when, when the enemies of Israel came, they always came like from every angle, and that's how the enemy attacks. He always surrounds. He wants to surround. He wants to get kids, finances. He's going to like stir up everything. You're like, ah, what's happening? And here's what's happening is your threshold of pain is increasing. You don't even realize it. If you can keep the right spirit and go, this too shall pass. Like, Jesus is like, yeah, guess what? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Like, it hurts now, but it's so worth it because of where we're going to be in just a few minutes. You know what I mean? Like, like, what's your threshold? Like, your threshold will determine the power that you have to reach those who are far from God. Your threshold will determine the ability you have to function within teams and leadership and the ability for you to be able to process things the correct way. And pain comes. Pain is not your enemy. It's just part of the process. Is this okay for everybody? Because we're about to get to the hard one. Are you ready? The offenses test. The test of offense. Oh, my goodness. How do you respond when someone forgets about you? Says something cruel about you? You ready to fight? We have an offended generation. Bible says that an offended spirit is like a walled city. Everyone's mad. And so what happens, we can't even have a dialogue because everyone's got their walls up. You're guilty till proven, till proven innocent. Not innocent till proven guilty. An offended spirit sees everyone as guilty until proven innocent. And you got to be careful. Keep your heart and don't let that spirit get on you. Offended spirit. One of my favorite scriptures that's not a scripture is blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be bent out of shape. My second favorite scripture that's not a scripture is thou shalt shut up. Sometimes you've got to just not say anything, even though you know you could and you feel like you should. Because what we do is perpetuate more hate by fueling the conversation. I know that we can't solve the world's problems. I get it. We're not going to solve the world's problems on Facebook. But I can start by loving my neighbor. That's, that seems less noble because less people are going to see. It's in private. But it's back to the field, David. What are you going to do in the field? 
What are you going to do in the field? The offense test. Number eight, the test of time. The test of time. The test of time. Everything has a season. The test of time. Milk does really bad over time. Wine does really good over time. Are you milk and sour or are you wine? What are you made of? Time will reveal all things. Time doesn't heal all things, but it sure does reveal all things. And some people, they they don't know how to settle somewhere over time. They don't know how to create cadence and rhythm of time. We get planted. The Bible says be planted in God's house. It doesn't say get planted and uproot and be out for a while and get planted back again and try to get, and get unplanted. It's like cadence and time. And time is the tailor and the teacher of all things. Let time do its work. Forty years, Moses, you were in the wilderness, but then there was a burning bush at the right appointed time. It was a timing thing. It wasn't you. It wasn't God forgot you. It's a timing thing. And some of you, there's an appointment that God has for you right around the bend. You don't even know it. So don't give up and don't give in and don't get disappointed. God is for you, not against you. It's all about time. And then the lordship test. The lordship test is a tough one. And here's why. Because the lordship test will ask you for the thing that's dearest to your heart. The Lord wants to know, is he truly Lord? Abraham has prayed for a child that he and Sarah would have. And finally, he's 100 years old and he gets a kid. You know, I mean, he can, probably can't even carry the kid. He's got insure and his hand's shaking. He's like, is this vanilla or chocolate insure? What kind is it? Vanilla. All right, I'll drink it. He, and God's like, hey, I know I just gave this child to you, but I'd like for you to give him back and sacrifice him. And Abraham's like, well, God, I don't even know if this is, like, you promise it, but okay. And he takes his boy up a hill to put him on an altar. The boy's like, Dad, where's the sacrifice? I, I see fire, and I see wood, and I see the, the rope, and I see the knife, but I don't see a sacrifice. And Abraham trusted God that if he would keep God the number one, God just wants to know, am I number one? When he passed the lordship test, Abraham's eyes were open to a provision that was waiting for him that was there the whole time that he could not see. There was a ram in the thicket. God sees, and an angel comes. He's like, and stops him. And he goes, you don't have to do it. There's a ram in the thicket. Can I tell you that when you pass the lordship test and you're willing to put anything and everything on that altar, God's provisions open up to you. Most people are like, how do I fix this and how do I fix that? 99% of the time I go, it's a lordship problem you have. He's not lord of your life. He's lord of all or he's not lord at all. It's a lordship issue. Amen? So these are the tests that we're going to go through. Why? Because God's creating a heart in us that can be anointed. So here's, here's the story. I'm going to give it to you. It says this, 1 Samuel chapter 16 and 1. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I've rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. So Jesse has eight boys. He says, you're going to Jesse's house. And he's, we're going to anoint one of them. One of them is going to be king. So he fills, he's like, oh, this is good. This is good news. Don't stop, stop mourning for Saul and go find the king at Jesse's house. 
So 1 Samuel chapter 16 and 6 says this, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointing stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Even Samuel was tricked by looking at these big, strong, muscular handsome men like me i was i'd be like in that line like tough and strong i'm just kidding i'm kidding not that well-rounded yes but not and these guys are like they're standing tall chest out and samuel's like god there's like seven awesome dudes here right now and it's almost like you know like like the bachelorette you know they're like here they come if you laughed at that joke, shame on you for knowing what the bachelorette is, all right? And they're standing up, like, showing off, and it's like, no, 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 no. This is really weird. It's like, not here. It's like, do you have another boy? Oh, yeah, we have, we have David. They're like, D- David, David, little runt, little guy in the back, out in the field, Working the sheep. We're part of the army of Israel, and he's the sheep tender at the house. So Samuel's like, we will not sit until he comes. Here it is. It says in verse 10, Jesse had, had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen these. Verse 11, he asked Jesse, are there yet any that you have? There is still the youngest. Jesse answered, he is tending sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. Can I speak this over you today? That there's some things that are frozen until you show up. There are ministries there are callings, there are opportunities in the kingdom that are at standstill until you show up because you are destined for that oil that's in the house. You are the only one who can activate the room. And until you show up, it doesn't happen. Until you say yes to leading that small group or you say yes to going on that mission trip or yes to getting planted in God's house and finally saying, I'm going to stop flirting with God and I'm going to put a ring on it and say, yes, I'm committed. Whatever it is, heaven is waiting for you to show up. And he shows up, and Jesse anoints him, excuse me, Samuel anoints him, anoints the, be- oh, you know, the, the, the oil that flows over him, down his face, and he smells like sheep. All the other brothers have gone through the ceremony of cleansing and washing, and here's what the anointing does, and here's the promise that you and I have, that stinky, unsanctified David gets anointed in the clothes of a servant. God anoints the heart of a servant. Out in the field, doing his best. Faithful in the little. Fighting. Why why fight a bear? Why fight a a, a lion? These are just sheep. He could have easily said, you know what, let's just, why don't you just take one of the little lambs and just go your way. And yet he was willing to risk his own life so he could protect what was precious to his father. Because he knew his enemy. He knew that if he gave one lamb or one sheep today, come back tomorrow. Tomorrow. And then he had nothing. But David was courageous on taking care, stewarding what his father had put in his hands. So David comes from the field and the anointing is waiting for him. 
And I'm going to tell you, the anointing is going to find you when you're in the field that God has put you in to prosper you in. That is where the anointing is going to come. Not in you getting your business card made and putting your chest out and trying to look good. He's going to find you busy in the Father's field. That's where it finds you. God has a plan for you, and it's great. I'm going to close with this. I got a couple of scriptures here that I want to share with you that are so important. Acts chapter 13 and 34. I want you to see this. I will give you the sure mercies of David. This is a statement in the Bible that sometimes we read and we don't realize what the sure mercies of David actually means. There was something about the heart of David that God says, David, there's something about you that I am personally making a promise to you. you there's something about your heart that I'm going to give you something I've never given anyone else. Are you ready? This is what it is. First Kings chapter 9 and 5. This is the sure mercies of David. Then I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever, as I promised David your father, saying, you shall not fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. I'll give you another verse. Jeremiah 33 and 17. For this is what the Lord says, David will never fail to have a man sit on the throne of Israel. So here's the point. David's heart pleased God so much that God promised, David, whether it's you, whether it's your children, your children's children, fifth, sixth, seventh generation, I don't care. If they make me mad, if they're full of idolatry, which many of them were, you can read the history, First Kings, Second Kings, uh, first and Second Chronicles, you can read the history of Israel. Tons of his great-great-grandchildren who were off their rockers, bringing in Baal, idolatry. And he would get them off the throne, but he would not take the seat of David off of the throne. He said, no matter how bad they fail, I promise, never to take your seat off of the throne of Israel forever and ever and ever. I'll let armies come and mess them up so they can cry out to me again or remember where, where all this came from. I'll, they'll die and their kid will come up. I'll give them a chance, but I promise you, no matter how bad they are, I will not, like Saul, rent the kingdom from his heritage. Jonathan, Saul had a son named Jonathan who was awesome. Great guy. Loved David. But God bypassed. Didn't give that promise to Saul, but he gave it to David. And here is what's cool. When you get to the New Testament, Matthew and Luke, it starts off with the lineage of Jesus. And it brings the lineage of Jesus right through the line of David to remind us, oh yeah, there will be a king, a ruler, the seed of David forever and ever and ever. So the kingdom of God in heaven and earth will forever be ruled by a seed, a child of David, Jesus Christ the seed of David, forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Is that pretty awesome how God keeps his promises? That's what a heart can do. He goes, this is the heart I've been looking for. I've been looking for a heart. I've not been looking at the outward appearance. I've been looking for your Facebook profile. I've been looking for a heart that I can trust and entrust with my stuff. Amen? Would you stand?